Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. Well, good morning. We have a wonderful guest here. She's a, a good friend of the, the podcast, a good friend of mine, and today is a very special day for her. We won't tell you what day we're filming because we don't want anybody to get personal information, but it is a birthday. We won't say what day, what birthday it is because as doctors get gray hair, which you don't seem to have any, it is a sign of wisdom, and so we certainly appreciate you celebrating another time around this earth with us on your birthday early morning. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Merritt. Before we get going too much, Throw a little quick shout out to my Patreon supporters. We've got the Plandemic Reprimand level, which is a $17.76 a month. We have Samuel Shelke and Perry. And then I have a custom-made level that was made by himself, Kevin Alanos. I want to say thank you to y'all for y'all help supporting. There's many other look in the credits, and you'll see a few more Patreon supporters. And if you want to learn how to become a Patreon supporter, please look in the credits down below or the show notes down below, and you'll see the different links. Well, Dr. Merritt, again, thank you so much for coming on with us today. And I know this is a, a special day for you. It's uh, another time around the sun. There's a couple things that I wanted you to talk about because recently we talked together about one of these. And this is an EMF receiver or a meter. And is actually actually talking through you is what encouraged me to get this and, and look at some things in my house. And it was very shocking to see like how much, how far away you have to get away from the microwave to get to below whole numbers on the RF meter which is shocking. And so that's one topic we're going to be talking about today. And then we're also going to be talking about another thing that's you and I have mentioned before, but I think it's really important that we talk about it as well. Yeah. Well, um, the EMF is really a big problem. I mean, no matter how we look at this, you know, the, the EMF is everywhere now. It, you know, even the Amish can't get away from it. You know, the Amish had the right idea, I think, for a long time. They've been laughing at us because they didn't go down with COVID because they didn't watch TV. You know, they didn't get afraid. But, but they can't avoid Starlink. And, uh, you know, we now live in a world where we have radio frequencies, electromagnetic frequencies, they're being blasted through our bodies that we've never had before. And, I mean, our great-grandparents never had this. We never, you and I never had this really at this level until a number of years ago. I mean, I, I remember thinking in the early 90s, I thought, I wonder what this is doing. You know, when cell phones first really came out, that's really when, when you know, I didn't live underneath a telegram line in 1918. That's really when the whole thing kicked off is is when they laid the telegram lines in the 1850s. Did you know that we didn't have a seasonal flu until then? That is a product of electrification. And flu is not a virus. It's an electromagnetic frequency disease. That's what we have to understand. And, and in favor of that, if people don't believe it, it was known that before 1850s, when we laid the telegram lines, electromagnet, I mean, influenza, which only means influence. It doesn't mean tiny little virus-induced, you know, flying animacule disease. It just means influence. It doesn't specify etiology, but basically it, it used to, before 1850, it would just break out all over the world. And, and I'll make a Navy joke here. In the days of wooden ships and iron men, you know, the, the ships didn't sail that fast. And you would have influenza, maybe every 30 years, you would have a breakout. And it would hit both ships at sea. 
you know, like in the Napoleonic Wars, you'd have people, be the whole ship would come down with it, but other ships not related to that ship would come down with it at the same time. We know that from ship's logs. And, and all over the world, people would be getting sick simultaneously. It couldn't have happened by person-to-person -person spread. So what was going on? The, right, if, if you're kind of, no, if you're thinking at the time and you think, oh, well, maybe something is going through the air, because everyone's getting getting the same exposure to whatever toxin or or whatever this is, then maybe you would think, oh well, you know, Bill got it and then Joe got it. Well, Bill was coughing near Joe, so maybe it went through the air. That seems logical, right? But it can't it can't work when you're doing it all over the world simultaneously and isolated places. And so what was happening is there was an uh, an Oxford, I think he was an Oxford an astronomer, and there's one in Winnipeg that independently wrote papers about the relationship of influenza historically back hundreds of years to sunspots and flares. And that's what it turned out to be. I mean, you can completely line this up with the sunspot. When, when, the, when the sun and becomes very active, it apparently ionizes our atmosphere and we start getting sick. And we actually know now how this works. It actually, it isn't like ionizing radiation. Now, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I spent, you know, 35 years of my life standing in 35 pounds of lead, <laughs> and that was to protect from ionizing X-ray radiation, which directly hits the electrons on your DNA. That directly, it's a, it a, it's a, a very higher wavelength, and it directly hits your, your electrons, so it directly damages DNA. What, what EMF does, it creates, and, and somebody else came up with this term. This is, a, I think, Corey Hills, or, or there was a doctor that that did all this research, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but, but they call it subatomic confusion. But what it really is, and it's, a, it's your, your ion channels. I think it's two things. They don't talk about mitochondria, but I think it's the mitochondrial power system, the, the electron transport chain gets deranged because people get diabetes when they suddenly get put into an electric field. And the second thing that is, is your ion channels. So you have calcium channels, sodium channels, and believe it or not, we, I mean, we are electromagnetic beings. And in every cell in the body, there's a voltage-gated ion channel, or multiple. There are probably ones for iodine and sodium and potassium and calcium and everything. The one we really know the most about is the calcium voltage-gated ion channel. And so these things just, when they're in certain... Quick for everyone listening, voltage-gated means it has a gate. Think of it like a little a ball and a, and a little cup. And so when you reach a certain voltage, the little the, the hole, the cup, where it lets all the stuff through, the little ball goes and closes or it'll open up depending on what the signal is. And so it's just a little channel that is very mechanical, but it just pops open at a certain range and closes at a certain range. And it has to do with the depolarization of the membrane. So as the membrane changes its, its, its charge, you know, then it opens up or closes. And, and what's happening in EMF is it's opening them up and we're getting rushes of calcium into our cells. Now, you know, I mean, you probably use these drugs more than I did I, as a surgeon, but calcium block, calcium channel blockers. I mean, you guys use them for hypertension, for what else? Arrhythmia. There's all sorts of things. And it goes along with what you see with people with EMF sensitivity. In other words, if you've got more calcium than you need rushing into your cells, you get jittery, you get arrhythmias. All these things start happening to you. And I think that's what we're seeing. And it's now doubling down because, you know, when the old cell phones, even before before the, the 5G, which means generation, not gigahertz, it's five gener fifth generation. 
but the old cell phones actually would go up from 800 megahertz to 2.4 gigahertz. 2.4 gigahertz is your microwave. And that goes really far away. And I'll, I'll put that video probably towards the end or maybe in here somewhere where it, I, I have to go like 20 feet from the microwave, which is pretty far to get to a below whole number reading to get away from it. It's shocking how far you have to really get. So, so the problem, I guess I'm saying, is you can't just walk away from this. You, you, we have it coming in our roofs from the f satellites. We have the 5G towers, which actually that isn't the big problem, but they're still there. Uh, if you go to a hotel and you stay on the top floor, you got a 5G antenna right next to you now. Don't stay on the stop, top floor of hotels. It's all around us. And your cell phone, again, and I think I told you the, the, about the, the one arm length trick, but your cell phone's a big emitter. But if you put it one arm length away from you, it doesn't have a lot of power, and it goes to zero on your chest on your meter. The big thing in your house are, are your routers and your modems. You know, that's the big emitters. And, and don't sit near a router or modem. Now, so how do we, you know, we can mitigate this, but we got to think, first thing is easy to do is take magnesium. Magnesium blocks your calcium channels. So it, it will block some of the symptoms. The question is, does it block the damage? You know, this magnesium might be one of these things, blocking the calcium channels and doing all this mitigation. Unfortunately, it might be like sunscreen where it blocks your tanning, but it doesn't block the cancer absorbed rays. I'm, I'm concerned about that. So ultimately, not that I would ever advocate violence, but ultimately those 5G towers may have to come down and the satellites. So my, I, I talked to my son. I, I jokingly claim he's a blue wizard because he's now doing electrical engineering satellite control programming and stuff like that. And, and he informed me there that although there are tens of thousands of satellites up there, these low orbital satellites like Leon Musk's stuff, it, they're actually, Elon Musk, they're actually 2,500 or less ground control buildings. So those are the targets if you have to do something. This is, we're talking about that right now is because that will relate to the next topic of the neurosynthetic parasites. And so this, this will come together. This is all joined. This is all joined. You know, the EMF, we are, again, we are wavelength. And I'll tell you how I, how I started really looking at this, you know, 18 labs around the country, when they looked at these vaccines, could not, around the world, not just around the country, could not find mRNA in the vaccines, the so-called vaccines. And I talked to Karen Kingston and I said, what do you think? What's this mean? And she said, oh, it may be just that the, you know, they've been out of cold storage too long. And I said, Karen, you know, I'm going to raise the BS flag here because, quite frankly, what, don't you watch CSI? I mean, if, 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 if genetic material just disappeared, poof, after 10 weeks, how do we do post-mortem DNA analysis and things like that? So I'm not buying that. So, but, and I understand RNA is more, more friable and more, can disappear easier. I mean, can be taken out by the body, but sitting in a, in a, in a vial, I don't, I'm not buying it. Anyway. So when I started looking around, I discovered, you know, there's, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot wrong with this whole mRNA technology theory. I mean, the story. For example, in, in 2018, one dose of M mRNA technology stuff, this very, kind, this very kind of stuff we're using, cost between $800,000 and a million dollars. Are you telling me, and there was only a few diagnoses we used it for. One of them was, a, was an eye problem that was genetic. And they had actually, out of the $60 billion or something a year they spent on this research, they only got about 3% into any clinical relevance. And one of them was for this eye genetic problem. And so 
what happened was it cost about a million dollars to treat a case. How did they suddenly in two years go to be able to, to put out billions of doses in $30 or less a dose? I'm not buying that. So that was a problem. Then we find the problem of not finding the mRNA in multiple labs around the world. And I asked Purnima Wog, who is a, is, a, is a lab scientist. She may not have a PhD in virology, but she's a lab scientist. She knows what she's talking about. I've got a two-hour interview on my Rumble about this. I mean, she's the real deal. And she told me Raman spectroscopy and gel electrophoresis, they didn't miss it. In other words, is what I'm telling your listeners. They didn't accidentally miss it. So it wasn't there. And so what's happening? Well, yeah. And here's, here's what really... So then I started... I followed the trail of CRISPR, because CRISPR is the technology that theoretically gets us here. It's the gene editing technology. And the guy that's implicated with that is Feng Zhang from the Zhang lab at, NIP, at MIT. And he's a Chinese, I guess a Chinese-American young guy, researcher. And only in Chinese, his name means tip of the spear. You can make of that what you want. But anyway, he, he, runs, this, he runs this lab. And when you read right on the front page of the MIT Zhang Lab blurb, he's quoted as saying, he's quoted as saying, well, you know, when it comes to this gene editing, we can't really insert things precisely. We can do gene knockout, but we can't really insert things precisely. I'm going, really? Now, wait a minute. That's what CRISPR is supposed to be all about. So he's saying you can't do that. Then I looked up his PhD. And his PhD was in optogenetics. And what is that? Optogenetics means, just like we just were talking about, you use wavelength in order to stimulate nerve function. That's what he was doing. That was his research. Wavelength. So it's all about wavelength. That's why. Now, add to this what Karen Kingston just found. So after I had talked to her a month and a half ago or something, we were just in a meeting. And what... what you know, we've come up to the same conclusion about parasites from different ways. I had already come to the conclusion that one of the ways, probably the main way that the, the vaccine's damaging people, is it's knocking down these toll-like receptors, so that's the gene knockdown, knocking down toll-like receptors that are patrolling your body for parasites and other things. So if you take away the patrols, like taking away the Roman sentries on the empire, suddenly the parasites break out. And that's what we're seeing. People are, it's, there's a, you know, we can talk in detail about the parasite issue, but that's, that's what's happening now. So what, what she discovered was she went back, and we've all probably heard the term Ralph, the name Ralph Barrick by now. Ralph Barrick was one of the original researchers in this so-called SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. But, when she, but she found some older paperwork that said, yeah, we isolated this kind of spike protein, but we can't get it to work very well. In other words, if they were trying to make a bioweapon, they couldn't get it to insert in human cells. So the next level is they figured out how to use genetically engineered smart hydrogel. And hydrogel... Is a, is a man-made synthetic material. We use it. Hydrogel by itself is, is benign. I mean, hydrogel is what you get soft contact lenses from. It's simply a polymer of, you know, that is made that cross lots of cross links and absorbs water. That's what the that's theoretically what the hydrogel is. But the smart hydrogel is something different because smart hydrogel is they say it's created by AI or it may be in in her mind, it is AI, but in any case, it's a it's a hydrogel that has 
other properties and it's genetically engineered. So it has some self growth properties. It can reproduce and it can, and it, and you know, there's three levels of it. There's regular hydrogel. Then there's smart hydrogel that responds to the elements outside. So I can, I can bombard it with heat, light, humidity, and it will change its conformation, its conformation based on things I bombard it with, right? That's smart hydrogel. And then we go to genetically engineered smart hydrogel. And now what we have is a, a new life form, essentially. It's, it's self-replicating, it grows, and it's genetically competent. It does certain things that we can program genetically, and it responds to our commands. So what they've developed is a form of this synthetic material, a synthetic polymer, that looks like what we were told the ACE2, the, the spike protein looks like. Now, we were told that, the, yeah, it's like a little triangle thing. It's like a little thing that's got a little hook on it. And that hook fits into the human body's ACE2 pathway. These little receptors that allow it to damage us. The, the ACE2 pathway is key to this in our body. So the, so what they told us originally about the, the actual SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, which again, this is all nonsense, but it, it's the paradigm. The, the, the spike protein hooks into your ACE2 receptor and it gets what makes people sick. Well, what they've developed is a genetically engineered synthetic parasite, essentially, it acts like a parasite, and it ends in two conformations. In the, there's a triangle conformation and a diamond conformation. And I think it's the triangle conformation that can hook into your ACE2 receptor. And they can change the conformation by blasting you with 5G level wavelengths. That's what this is about. In 2019, wasn't there something that happened in Wuhan, China that they kind of rolled out that was new? Right. So yes, exactly. So we have several things that happen. So and so let's just let's just postulate this about Wuhan. See, this is what I think from the time this whole thing rolled out. In February of 2020, I said this was a bioweapon because it didn't fit. What they were telling us about an airborne virus did not fit. If that had been an airborne virus with that kind of fatality and that kind of transmissibility, it wouldn't have confined itself to Wuhan. I mean, China didn't shut down all traffic to Wuhan for a long time. So it would have been all over China. It wasn't. It would have been in Paris. It wasn't. It would have been all over the world. It would have been in, you know, Fort Huachuca. It wasn't. You know, it, it, what happened is it went to three places, really. It went to Wuhan, then it went to Lombardy, Italy, and then it went to New York City in any amounts, okay? And it looked really scary, but... What did spread over the entire world at lightning speed was fear. No, but fear spread like lightning across the entire... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because of the TV, it spread via the TV. It spread much faster than the actual disease. But the, but right, the actual disease, and I'll tell you an interesting one in our, when it did come around, you know, when it did get out to other places, if you looked at my state of Iowa, a friend of mine who's an ER doctor plotted the outbreaks of, quote, COVID in 2020, and it went right up Interstate 80. Okay, that's not an airborne virus. That's somebody planting something, right? So let's just postulate this. Right, or, or turning on something. So, so let's postulate this. This stuff gets spread around Wuhan, okay? Now, and, and it, 
we have a video, the Epic Times had a video of people touching, this woman touching, going into a computer store, touching her keyboards, opening and closing computers, but not really looking at the computers, just touching keyboards. That's something you could do to spread this kind of thing. It's a, it's a polymer that can be a tactile bioweapon. And let me just point out, we have a lot of experience. We taught the South, Af South African Defense Force how to do contact bioweapon toxins, okay? Virus, by the way, in Latin means toxin. So this is a poison. So this, this self-generating hydrogel, this smart AI hydrogel gets spread around the environment. But that by itself doesn't make you sick for the most part. Then on October 19th, they turned on the 5G in, in Wuhan or around that time because they had announced that the big rollout in Wuhan was going to be November 1st. Well, you know they have to put up the towers, get everything ready, and turn it on experimentally ahead of time before they have the big rollout. Well, that was October 19th. We also had the military games October 19th, and we had event 201 on the 19th. So these guys love to, you know, show their, it's, it's all synchronous because this is plotted, it's planned, okay? So the first victim shows up in the military hospital next to the Wuhan Institute of Virology on October 19th. But that's when they turned on the 5G. Now, 5G by itself can, you know, can make some people sick, but you add this hydrogel that now is attacking your ACE2 pathway, and one of the big physiologic things that does is cause you to lose sodium very rapidly. So it's a sodium wasting problem. And what people, we didn't realize at first, yeah, you, you suddenly get very fatigued. Think about what it makes you, makes you very fatigued, dehydrated. You can't keep your fluid in. The answer, by the way, is, and I, is chewing on some salt crystals or drinking salt water, bicarb, sodium bicarb water, getting your sodium back, not taking Gatorade or something that's mixed electrolytes. You need sodium specifically. Yeah, something that has salt in it. You need a salt solution. And, and that was what we didn't know at first. There's a lot we didn't know at first because the psychopaths in charge didn't tell us. But that's, that's what I think happened. And then what happened is, look, they turned on 5G in Lombardy. They turned on 5G in New York City. Plus, they had all these people show up from China for the Chinese New Year. So they had ample op opportunity if this was literally rolled out from a chemical plant in China, the, the hydrogel, it could have been taken to all these different places because the other thing about Lombardy, Italy, it was a big, big Chinese community there. They went back and forth because they were in business together. So those are, that's how this whole thing started. But then, if you as I did, I was following daily from middle of December to the summer of 2020. I was just my own. I didn't trust those guys. I was graphing the deaths per day. And you noticed it really looked scary at first. It was going up asymptotically. I mean, hyperbolically, I mean. And then suddenly it just started kind of going over the top, just like every seasonal death season in the winter, right? This Just like we always see from about December to March, we see people die in every in, in our country, and it kind of was going up, and then it starts coming back down. Well, just as it was start coming back down, what did they do? Ah, false PCR testing. They converted everybody's disease, whatever it was, flu, you know, different food poisoning, it didn't matter. It was now COVID, and that got everybody scared. And what did that get them to do? As you said, the fear drove them to make really bad choices. You don't make good choices when you're afraid. You go out, and they got the... They, Right. That was the. And so they ran out and they got this so-called vaccine that was not a vaccine. And it was this artificial gel. Now, that's what eight, I said. 18, 18 labs around the world didn't find any mRNA in there. But what did they find? They found graphene oxide, reduced graphene oxide, metallic, microscopic. I mean, you know, 
small small particles of various metals and and this hydrogel now then we started seeing so then when we started seeing the early deaths, that was mostly, you know, there's two ways the, the clotting gets you with this stuff. You know, they, they jokingly, I mean, call it sadly, it's been termed the clot shot. That's not the only way this stuff kills you or makes you sick. But the good news is if it doesn't have RNA in there and it's not getting into your DNA, I think we have a way out of this. I think all that stuff, that MIT lab that showed how it got into your DNA, I think that's disinfo. I think they're trying to just make us depressed and fatalistic, right? Because if we don't know what's going on, then we're not going to treat it appropriately. This is where we get into the parasite treatment. Right, it's over. You know, I took the vaccine and then I'm in denial. You know, I don't, if I'm a doctor, I'm in denial. I don't want to admit that I took it and I might have killed myself and my family and my patients. But now you have an opportunity. This is just like so many other things. This is biblical. If you repent, you have a way out. When Moses was on the desert and the snakes were biting all the people, go look at the bronze snake and trust God and you'll be healed. And so this is great. This is a message. This is a huge message of hope. This, this is, this is going to be a huge episode because I wasn't, yes, this is a, this whole episode is a message of hope. That is, that is, don't, that's why I'm up. Yeah. Don't be down anybody. This is not, and for you doctors out there that, that haven't awakened like the, the present company, now's the time because you can get yourself out of this. I believe you can get yourself out of this. So, and, and it's multifactorial, but here's, here's what we can do. And let me just, let me just, I got to interject one thing before I tell you how to get out of this. And that is the importance of, it's not just the synthetic parasite, it's your intrinsic parasites. Now, one of the things that I was told by Teresa Long and other people in the military is that when these young guys are showing up with cancer after the vaccine, the so-called vaccine, it's not just a single cancer. Now, I, when I was in the military, we saw like 20-year-old guys, what do they get? They, if they're going to show, show up with cancer, it's like testicular cancer. They get a lump in their testicle, boom, go to the urologist, done deal. That's, that's most of the time. Or it's a single, right, and they also don't show up with multiple mets all over the body. But that's what we're seeing. Now, why do we see that now? Because another dirty little secret that's come out in all this is that that we've been ignoring the in, the issue of parasites and cancer. The, I, the NIH is not because they've got a million studies on ivermectin and cancer. But doctors all over the world now are showing videos. And there was a German research project years ago in the 90s, I think, showing cancer was parasites, intracellular parasites. Right. If you look at the if you look at a cancer met metastasis like or, or an adenocarcinoma of the bowel, for example, or, or breast cancer under the light microscope, it's almost it's essentially indistinguishable from these parasite egg sacs. Now, Brian Artis, who's a chiropractor, but it's very interesting and very good researcher on this stuff. He said he he has a friend who's a 40 year Egyptian parasitologist. And he asked him and he pointed this out to him. He said, hey, you know, I've been looking at this this cancer and versus the parasite egg sacs and they look identical under the microscope. And this guy got real wide eyed and said, in 40 years in parasitology, not one oncologist has told me has made that association. But we talk about it all the time in parasitology circles. I translate as saying they know that cancer is parasites. They're not speaking because they don't want to lose their funding. That's my translation of that. So. That's what's, I think, going on. And that explains why. So here you got these young military guys. Let's say they're from Fort Bragg. They're rangers or something. They've been out snooping and pooping in the brush. They've been to Afghanistan. They picked up, you know, they've been eating dirty food. They've been eating all sorts. So they probably have parasites. Right. But they've been healthy because their immune system's been strong.
And so they, what happens is when you bring it, when you take in a parasite, you have a mother parasite, and these can be microscopic. They're not something that always show up in the bowel, but they could have, you can have macroscopic and microscopic parasites. So you take these things in, and the mother parasite lays between 20,000 and 200,000 eggs a day. Many of those eggs pass out through your feces, but a lot of them stay in the body and become encysted. They, they, they just get walled off in your muscle, your brain, your liver. And your body, when you're young, you know, you're, you're 15, 20 years old, you've got parasites, you, you insist these things, and you've got sentries, these toll-like receptors in your body. The, the immune system is keeping them in check. Well, now we give you a vaccine that drops out that immune system, and what happens? They all start growing all at once. And, you know, that is the problem. And I think that's what we're seeing when we see these young guys come in. So there's a treatment for that. It's called fenbendazole, and we have lots of treatments. So the answer here is probably for both the synthetic parasite and the real, your intrinsic parasite is parasite protocol. I just made a rumble video. But one thing about that, too, is, I mean, certainly the, you know, the, the ranger who went to some faraway place and got some weird zebra-like parasite, but you're, we're seeing parasites in, in people who live in America, a first world country with clean bottled water and all this. We're still getting exposed to parasites every day. Exactly. Right. If you have dogs, you have parasites. If you have cats, you have parasites. So, you know, people, we were told, and, and I'm going to tell you, this was purposeful. This was a purposeful misdirection by our organized medicine. Don't think this is by accident that nobody just, we just weren't, you know, paying attention. No, they were paying attention and they purposely did things to make it so we weren't looking. You know, the joke in medicine, WNL, it's supposed to be, we, it's within normal limits, but it really means we never looked. They told us that parasites were the third world country. They knew better. Anybody, you know, you can't tell me all these people in the universities and all the smart guys in research at the NIH and all over the world weren't paying attention to parasites or these other things. Secondly, when I was in medical school, I went to the University of Rochester in 1976 to 80. During that period of time, we were taught, always look at the patient's fresh blood yourself. Don't just send the blood to the lab. You know what? What, by 1985, they were telling my colleagues that are just slightly older, younger than I am, saying, no, no, that's just nonsense. Don't look at fresh blood. And now they make fun of people like these nurses on these or these holistic doctors that look at fresh blood. They say, that's just nonsense what they're talking about. No, the, the, that's what the German researchers started seeing in their cancer patients. They started seeing these. They said every one of these cancer patients has parasites. I'll tell you another one talking about acquiring parasites. I remember that when, when I was, again, this is back in 1977 or 78 when I was in medical school, hearing a lecture on multiple sclerosis, and they were talking about one of the risk, the risk factors. One of the risk factors of multiple sclerosis was having a, a lap dog at a young age. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Why would that matter, okay? Because they don't know. They, they thought it was some kind of autoimmune disease, right? Dr. McDonald, a pathologist, apparently, I think he's in Florida, he uh, did a series of autopsies on MS patients, and 100% of them had parasites in the brain and spinal cord. Okay, so MS is also not a Dr. McDonald, Florida, pathologist, and he said he, he did autopsies on multiple sclerosis patients, 10 of them that died over the period of time he was doing, he was in practice doing autopsies. 10 patients, 100% of them had parasites in the brain and spinal cord. Now, how do we make the diagnosis of MS. 
we do an MRI and you've got neurologic symptoms and we see on MRI in your brain and in your spinal cord, because this is a central nervous system problem, we see what we call plaques. But remember, plaques are just a term. It doesn't tell you etiology. When we look at an MRI, it's based on the amount of fluid in the tissue and if the t fluid is moving or not. It's that simple. So these things are just a t some kind of different fluid from the surrounding tissue. It's parasites. So same with cancer. We look at cancer and we see all these, on the MRI you see all these spots, white or black, depending on the weighted image, all over the body. Well, we've got a paradigm that we see, oh, that can only be cancer when we see it like that. If we're starting to think about what else could cause things all over the body, parasites could. And here's, now you might be a little young to remember George Carlin, but you remember George Carlin, the seven words you can't say on TV? Most people know that, that comedy routine. He had these, you know, the bad words you couldn't say on TV. Well, now you can say them all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Get your button ready. I'm not going to say those. Oh, but you might have to. You know, I might have to censor the six words you now can't say on TV. And those six words are right. They don't want us to know about these: nitazoxanide, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, fenbendazole, and chlorine dioxide. Those are the six words. They're all anti-parasitic drugs. And you get rid of the nanosynthetic parasite. And I'm not going to go into all my thoughts on that. But if you get rid of this nanosynthetic parasite, then whatever they're trying to do is not going to work. And you can get this stuff out of your body. So there's hope. There's always hope. And this is, this is big hope. There's hope. Now, this is, this is the other point. So the graphene oxide. So I'm going to talk about the, the long term and short term. So in the short term, people are dying of the effects, I think, of graphene oxide, this clot that they're getting early on, the people that are having strokes bleeding right away. So what's going on there? Well, when do you, graphene oxide is a flat carbon molecule. And it is an incredible electron sucker upper. When it when it goes in the body, it grabs like fluorine is another one. But this but but you grab you inject yourself now with this graphene oxide. It's tiny tiny molecules that just suck electrons up from their surrounding tissue as it passes through the bloodstream. What keeps your laminar nice flow going in bloodstreams? Well, it's electrons. The electrons, your, your red blood cells, your plasma, your, the, the lining of your arteries and, and veins, it's all negatively charged. So the negative charge repels each other so things don't stick together. Then you get this sliding sheet of carb graphene. It goes through the vessels. It sucks up those electrons and things start causing what we call relow formation. I've got lots of pictures of that where the red, you see pictures of now, instead of the red blood cells being everywhere, they're like stood up like a, like a pile of plates being stacked. Yeah, and, and so that's the short-term problem. Oh, yeah, it's very strong. But here's what I think. Here's the good news on that, too. See, the question is, nobody knew how long, how, how that thing got out of the body or if it did or what we got, how we got rid of graphene oxide. I think that's a short-term kill switch. I mean, that's, I don't think that's long-term. We're not seeing, you know, that, I think, long time later. We might be, but here's what I learned from Bob Greska. Bob Greska is the nano carbon chemist. He did it for the aerospace industry, and he makes the Greska, my, the carbon-60 that I, I have on my shop. And the point is that carbon-60, for example, is a buckyball of carbon. It's the antithesis of graphene oxide. It's the world's best electron donor. So it's the world's best chemical antioxidant. So you put graphene oxide in you, and then you put in carbon-60, and it, and it restores the electrons to your laminar flow. But here's what happened to him, and this is a good, I said to him, I called him up the other day, and I said, so Bob, 
how does graphene oxide, or I mean, how does carbon-60 get out of the body? And this is a story he told me. He says, well, I don't know, he said, but one time in the lab, I was working for about six hours, and I didn't notice this, but when I opened the door to leave the lab, the whole room was filled with gray haze. I realized I had been I had been breathing in carbon-60 for about six hours. I got about 300 bottles worth into my system all at once. And I said, oh, my God, what happened? He said, well, actually, I felt fine. I felt, I felt completely antioxidated. But, but for three days, I pooped out black bricks, okay? And so he didn't know about pharmacokinetics, but I said, I think you've just shown us something. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Did your urine get dark? Nope. So it doesn't come out through the kidney. It's not damaging the kidney, but it does go out. And this is and, and this is also a very, very tiny molecule. You can put 200,000 of these things in one red blood cell, these carbon buckyballs, carbon-60 molecules. So he showed that it can be detoxified through the liver's phase one and phase two detoxification, can grab onto these molecules and excrete them, which probably is happening with the graphene oxide. Can't prove it, but that's probably that's that's as good knowledge as I found anywhere. So I think that's the short-term problem. You for the answer for that is carbon 60. Reverse the, the charge polarity problem and and move on. Just keep taking that for a few months after you, you know, if you took the vaccine or if you just I, I've taken this stuff for 10 years just because I thought it was an anti-aging thing. The second part is these the, the long-term clots. Look at the people that are having clots, even young people, year later, and they pull these great big weird clots out. Now, these are the ones, right, and, and the, you know, listen to what the morticians are saying. They're saying they're kind of white-looking. They show pictures of them. See, that's, I think, the hydrogel. Again, we, we need somebody to really analyze those things. Right, and didn't it have weird stuff like titanium and stuff? I thought it had some weird things in it, too. And what it appears is that those things grow by, the, like a parasite, by sucking off your ambient elemental makeup. So if, it go, if, it's, if it's in the bloodstream and stuff, it takes the calcium that it can get a hold of. That's one of the things we found in there. It takes your nutrition and uses it to build itself. But it doesn't use the nutrition you use. It uses, this is maybe why the metals were in the vaccine. That's so it's a, it helps it pre-assemble. It, it helps them give it aluminum. Aluminum seems to be one of the things. So it's, it's, a, it's making its own little nano circuits or whatever it's doing. But the point is, is that that's what's giving you the long-term clots. And these morticians, even if one of them showed this one, he said it actually was moving after it got out of the body. I mean, and formalin doesn't seem to kill this stuff. I mean, it's really weird stuff. But early on, but the right away, but the point is, before it becomes this huge clot, take antiparasitic drugs and kill this stuff. That's what I would do. And then we have to mitigate the, the, the EMG, I mean, the, the, the electromagnetic frequency, CMF. And, and there's ways of doing that. I think the only one I know right now, I've got it on my website, it's EMFSOL, but they, they show bioassays of the problems and how they can, like they have one that's very convincing, the, the bread mold test. They put bread next to a router and it prematurely molds. They put their, their devices underneath the bread stops it. So what it, whatever it is, I'm using that for right now. And this is science in the, in the early stages. This is how true medicine, not, you know, Lord found medicine works where doctors, we, we do research, we find, you know, case 
reports, and then we, we come to educated conclusions. And this is exactly how science is supposed to work. This is how, you know, the, the doc back in the 1800s worked. They, they saw everybody in town, and so they, they could draw conclusions. One thing that I've started to do is I quit using my microwave as much as I possibly could because I think you showed me the video or you had the video where they have these plants growing, and they give water that's normal water to one. They give water that's been microwave cooled, so it's not the hot water killing it. And then it kills the plant over a short period of time. And what I've noticed in that short period of time now that we're not using the microwave, yeah, what we've noticed so far is the other day we, you know, we eat steak and we dunk it in butter. So I melted the butter in a different way. And my daughter, who's five, she's like, this is the best butter I've ever had. Completely unsolicited, had no idea I did anything different. And that was the best butter she's ever had. It's the same butter she always has. Wow. And, and you know, so that, that's the other point. A lot of what's happening has actually been happening for a long time. The microwave. I mean, you know, you know, the first, my mother bought one of these back in the 60s or 70s. The very first microwave was made by Amana in Iowa, and it was called the radar range. Why was it called the radar range? Because a microwave for cooking was discovered by the Navy guys that would found out they could, like, cook hot dogs in the radar beam in the ship. That was what they discovered. So, but we've known, I mean... What's funny is I have a video that I just made for a Sherry Tenpennies for anybody that wants to really dive into EMF. They can get it on her site. It'll be up here in a few days, hopefully. But it's called Learning For You, Learning the Number Four dot org and under my name. But anyway, there's some physicists. I love these guys. You know, they're so funny because these are the smartest guys in the world, these physics guys. And yet they didn't know, for example, that a microwave heated food from the inside out. I said, what? So I have my annotations on their video. When they're talking about how you put grapes together, you know, you put, it's how you put a grape in a microwave, it turned, it creates plasma, an actual plasma transformation. I, I got rid of my microwave when I heard this guy say, you know, if you eat microwave food, you might as well just be eating cardboard. And I, that's when the day I took it outside and I decided to do my plant test and I killed the plant with microwave water. Now, I didn't do it many plants as I wanted to because I had a germination problem for some reason. But I'm going to, you know, I, hopefully I'm going to do it again with somebody else's microwave and I'll, I'll, I'll do another next summer. I'll try one. But the thing, what do you use the microwave for? Melting butter, heating water. And, and, and defrosting things. So now to defrost things, I use a little more common sense and forethought. I get things out earlier or I put them in hot water or I, you know, put them in the oven. You know, if I want a, an English muffin, you know, gluten-free English muffin, I put it in the oven sometimes. Melting butter, same with you. I just, I just put a little copper pot I never had used for. I keep it on the stove when I'm doing a lot of cooking. I just keep butter there. And then the last thing, I got a Zosharishi teapot. I've had it forever. Why am I, mel why am I doing hot water in the uh, microwave when I can just push a button and have now water that's been boiled in a teapot? It's not microwaved. It's just electrical heat. Microwave water is, it seems to get really hot and they cool off really fast. I don't but if you heat it on the stovetop, and even with the food, too, you heat it on the stovetop or in the oven, it has an even heat that stays hot longer, and it tastes like you just cooked it. And we noticed that with some other food. Like the kids, they ate all of their lunch the other day when it was reheated in the oven, as opposed to they barely eat any when it was in the microwave previously. Interesting. You know, I mean, kids, kids aren't as, aren't as used to it. You know, you get used to, that's the other problem we have is we get, we get conditioned to toxins. And when you get rid of, I mean, I, I'm going to admit something horrible that I used to do, but I used to drink those monster energy drinks. 
you know, one day I realized when the, when the that that was the Hebrew for six six six. I decided I'm not drinking those anymore. You know, but when I stopped doing it, I then then one time I backslid and I was just dying of thirst. It was a hot day and it just sounded really good. It tasted like chemicals. It all tasted like horrible chemicals. I realized I'd been drinking that. You know, one a day probably for years, and and it just wow. You know, so that's our problem is we accustom as we get older, we accustom your kids are not they've been they're They're still, you know, have virginal taste buds. They don't they're not chemically saturated like we are. So it takes a while to get this out of your system, I think. So we eat pretty clean. We don't eat battle oils. We don't we eat a lot of animal products. And we went to some some fair type thing and, and they had these donuts. And we thought, you know, it's a small town thing. Maybe they're using lard. My daughter takes a bite of it and says, nope. We all ate it. That was the first time in two years we've got sunburns. And my daughter did not get a sunburn. And, it, and to us, that's evidence that is the PUFAs, it's the polyunsaturated fatty acids that are related to skin cancer, like melanoma, which there's lots of evidence of that. And as sunscreen use goes up, skin cancer use or skin cancer diagnosis also went up around the same time. Which, which brings me to the point that in my lifetime in medicine that started in 1976, I have to say, every time I look around, organized medicine has said the exact wrong thing. They told us you didn't need any more than international, 400 international units of vitamin D, right? They told us about statin drugs. They got us on statin drugs because they said cholesterol's bad. They got us on unsaturated fats, which turns out to be the number one you know problem here to clot up your arteries probably. They paid... Right. They paid they paid Harvard physicians to lie about sugar and the relations to MI. I mean, it's like you go on and on. I'm that other 10th doctor. <laughs> you know, that, you know, somebody, a friend of mine up in Canada, that's what he has a show. And I can't remember what it's called, but it's called the third doctor, or the fifth doctor, because it's like four out of five doctors always say yes to something. He's the fifth doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been. And, and, and now. Look at what they've done in this. I mean, organized medicine completely in the tank for this. How many people stood up and said no? You know, only the independent doctors and you. Yeah, and I think I think it will not recover. Organized medicine will not recover from this, thankfully. It was not good. You know, I remember, you know, the, M the people that think the AMA is our friend, <laughs> the AMA only represents less than 13% of doctors in practice because we all got disgusted and, and never were, after we were out of medical school, just didn't renew our prescription, our subscriptions. But there's other organizations out there that have been around for a while. AA, American Academy of Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS. Yeah, now they're, they're the one, they're the group, and I was past president, they're the group that 1943 split off from the AMA because they said, government medicine is not your friend and you don't want to be in bed with these guys, but the AMA got in bed with the government, AAPS stayed independent. Lost a lot of members. I mean, at first we had 60,000 members, and at one point we had sunk down to 3,000 members. Now we're growing again. But the principle of the AAPS is free market medicine. If you want to have what's happened, what has really happened that they've done to us here, the Federation of State Medical Boards, through your medical licensing guys at your state level, has has come after us for free speech. They want you to only say what the government says. California recently passed a law that if you don't agree with the politicians as a doctor, they're going to come after you. It's like Nazi state, anyone? Hello? Like we, we joke it's California, but they just made themselves communist California. They did it. 
Yeah, no, they have. They really are. And we're not very far behind every place else. When you come out in, in, in the heart of what is theoretically the Midwest conservative area of the country and they do it to doctors, you know there's a problem. And, and honestly, the medical boards literally did not, they, 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 they prosecuted people for using ivermectin, which has clearly been shown to be beneficial. They prosecuted people for speech. Now, the problem with the speech is if you can't speak, you can't give informed consent. These organized areas were telling everybody, including the Army, including the Navy, including all the military services, they were saying they were not giving informed consent when they were giving this experimental agent because they couldn't give informed consent because no information was available to the doctor. I did the best I could for informed consent, right? Because I, I had no idea what, what was done or what was used in these things. I looked at the ingredient list. I looked at those complications. And I said, well, this is, this is what's in it. This stuff is made to go through your blood-brain barrier, yada, yada, yada. And I was pulled aside and given a counseling, and I was told, Sigloff, quit telling people not to get the shot. But, sir, I've never told anyone not to get this shot. Sigloff, you can tell people to go ahead and get the shot. But, and even that's not informed consent now that I'm learning because, because Pfizer was hiding information like the cumulative 5.3.6 that shows all of those side effects, like eight pages of single space. It's, it's horrendous. Side effects. I think 42,000 of the 45,000 in the study group had some side effect. Now, that's a horrendous number. You know, in pregnant women, how many doctors told pregnant women to get this stuff? 200 in the, in the first post-marketing study that came out, they had 270 women that were pregnant, took the vaccine. They could only demonstrate one normal birth. That's the exact number. 238 were lost to follow-up. Now, that should have been invalidated the study. You know, and the rest had either miscarriages or stillbirth, etc. So one viable birth out of 270 that they could verify, and they yet pressed on. Any doctor that said that you may take this in pregnancy, you should demand they have their license removed from them because they can't use their mind. They can't look at, they can't evaluate any information without making up information because pregnant women were specifically excluded from the studies. In fact, they excluded men who were trying to get their wife pregnant or their partner pregnant. For, and they wanted them to wait at least 60 days after that initial or the, the last dose so, because they didn't know what it would do to the pregnant woman. So any doctor that ever said that it's safe, it's fine in pregnancy or breastfeeding, go to their local state licensure and put a complaint in them that they lied and they committed malpractice. Because this is the only way we make this stop. And this is the medical structure that needs to come crashing down because these people lied. They lied to you and they've hurt your baby and they've hurt you. And, and, and the, when, they, when the medical boards then come after your doctor that tried to do the right thing, stand up for him or her because basically what's going to happen is, you know, if they take away my medical license, you know, I'm, I'm, reti I'm almost retired, essentially. I'm essentially retired. So it's not going to take away any basic lifestyle right of me. It's going to take away the rights of the patients to inform consent. That's what it is a basic right of yours to have to it's it's our right for speech free speech but it's your right as a patient it's ethical moral medicine to to be given informed consent and it takes away our ability to do that for you if they take away our license simply for speaking and that's what they're that's what they're doing that's what they're going after in California that's what the Federation of State Medical Boards is going after 
which is just a lobbying organization, but they're the ones doing this. And they're telling our, our they're putting researchers, I believe, on the state medical boards. I can't prove that yet, but that's a money trail somebody should look at. But the, the state medical boards are following their lead and saying, and, and by the way, you know what approved medical, just like just like your boss said, or somebody said to you, the, the, uh, the approved medicine, medical speech is, is government approved speech. If you got it from a government-approved website, then you're okay, whatever you say. But if you just looked at the research and thought weird thoughts yourself, you can't say that. Now, and it doesn't matter. You know, doctors are not infallible. We've been wrong in the past. It's one thing to be wrong, but it's one thing to be criminally negligent. That's another thing. And this is criminal negligence. And, and it takes a long time to figure out these results. Like DES, it was a medication they used to use in pregnant women. And what's really just mind-blowing about this is, let's say, a pregnant woman needed this medicine for whatever reason, and then, let's say, she was pregnant with a little girl. And that little girl, when she's about 20 or 30, she'd have a higher rate of cervical cancer of, you know, either boy or girl would have much like 20 times risk of renal cell adenocarcinoma. Like, we didn't find that out until 20 years later when the baby inside the mother was an adult. And here they are saying, oh, it's safe in pregnancy. Don't worry, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Took 20 years for that last medication. And this stuff, this stuff accumulates in the ovary of the mother 64 times than in the muscle. So it may not harm the mother if they were still able to get pregnant. But what does it do to the eggs that are in that ovary for the next generation? Again, we're still in that. So this puts us in that very similar problem. Or thalidomide, you know, my favorite one is, as an orthopedic surgeon, my favorite story about that is thalidomide. You know, thalidomide was a drug that we got from the Nazis. It was Otto Ambrose, who was the chief chemist from IG Farben, after he got out of jail after the, the Nuremberg trials, he went over to work in the pharmaceutical companies in England, and he brought thalidomide. And thalidomide was a drug that was for set it was made as a sedative he developed it as a sedative for the for the 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 labor camps and in Auschwitz that he was in but anyway what happened is it, it got marketed and a and an Australian I think he was Australian OBGYN doctor discovered how useful it was to stop morning sickness in pregnant women. So he started giving it to pregnant women, and then it's, it caught on all over the world because he published a paper about this, blah, blah, blah. Well, the one good thing then was the very people that gave the drug also saw the results, and the results turned out to be these horrendous malformations of the baby. That didn't happen on every case, so it took a while to figure out, And it, but it was like, your, your arms would be missing and your hands would be connected to your shoulders. They called them flipper hands. I, and I remember this was in the, in the 50s, 60s, early 70s. I guess by then I think they'd taken off the market, but you saw these kids back then. And, or, or part of your, 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 you'd be missing fingers or you'd be missing your forearm and your, arm, your hand would be on your elbow, that kind of thing. Focomelia, it's called in orthopedics. But anyway, they, 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 that's why we started the VARES, was the idea that, well, that took too long to figure out. Even though the guy that started it was the first to repudiate it and got it stopped pretty quick once he realized what was going on, it still took a while. So with the VARES, they said, ah, we'll set up a system of a tripwire, and as soon as we see problems, then we'll be able to stop stuff. Ha, ha, ha. Well, that didn't work. They, they've completely ignored all the stop signals. Completely ignored them. Yeah. So, but the point is we have a way out of this. I think, I think that right now everybody should be on a parasite protocol. And I'll tell you my story. You know, the story about cancer. 
you know, one of the things that, that one of the symptoms that make you think that a patient has cancer is system is, is perpetual night sweats. Well, I had developed, before, even before COVID, I mean, I had about a five-year history of progressive night sweats, and it wasn't hormones. I, I got that covered. It was just, un, you know, after I'd gotten, you know, over all that, I just started having night sweats. And it got to the point I was soaking the sheets, right? One three-day course of nitazoxanide, which is the bomb for parasites, boom, gone, never had them again. So I'm telling you, now... There's a way to do the parasite protocol so you don't make yourself sick. And there's, there's a way to choose the medications and everything. And I've got a video to talk about that on Rumble. I'm going to put it up on my website after this. But, yeah, th there's a way to do this. But I'm telling you, I would have been a cancer. I would have, they would have diagnosed me with some cancer, I'm sure. I kind of ignored it because I said, what am I going to do? I can't find anything wrong with me. Otherwise, I look fine. What's going on? And that was it, I think. So I think the parasite, I mean, I feel better. My joints feel better. It, and I think a lot of people with asthma, lung flukes, how, you know, we, we in medicine, we, modern medicine is all diagnosis symptom-based. We treat symptoms. We don't get at root causes. Ancient medicine was two things. It was purification, get right with God, and detoxification. And we need to get back to that. Now, I think we modern, the new postmodern medicine, I'm going to call it, should be purification, get right with God, post-detoxification, and antiparasiticals. Three things. Now, in addition to the antiparasite protocol, I do a chlorine dioxide protocol. I would not tell anybody else to do it because I use it myself. If you tell somebody else to use chlorine dioxide, you go to jail. The FDA will put you in jail. <laughs> Ask Bishop Grennan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Think about it. Again, they want to just, now they want us to eat insects, right? Now, you know, I mean, there's so much evidence. We are, meat, we are meant to be fat and meat eaters. We are not supposed to be eating all these plant products, even though, you know, plants in some degree is okay. But veganism and vegetarianism, no, I don't care. I'm sorry if this is, if it's a religious thing, I'm not going to talk you out of it. But don't tell me it's about health because those are my most unhealthy patients. Ultimately, they start crumbling their spine. They start crumbling their bones. They start having all these deficiencies because we were designed to be carnivores, okay? And what did they, what they really want us, they, for years, they tried to push us on these stupid diets. There's, there's one founding father that is somatically or his body habitus is significantly different than all the other founding fathers. He's quite portly. Ben Franklin. And I think it was when he was like 13 years old, he quit eating meat. He wasn't a vegan because you could not be a vegan there. He was a vegetarian. And he did it because he said, I'm not doing this for health reasons. I'm doing this because I don't want to be responsible for killing animals, which is at least he had that insight. But look at his body habitus compared to every other single founding father. Picture, description, you know, carved statue. He is completely different. And there wasn't a lot of people like him back then. I did not realize that was what he did. No, we didn't have diet, and and even then, he didn't he didn't die of diabetes. He lived into his nineties, right? I mean, he was an old guy when he died. So it's not just there's where EMF comes in again. It's not just the diet on that. You know, there I can't remember if it's Sri Lanka or Nepal or some. There was some country. It wasn't Nepal, I don't think, but it was a country that was not electrified. For years, the, the king or the whoever was in control at the time wouldn't wouldn't electrify the country. But then they became a, a democratic monarchy or something else. They, they changed their form of government, got a new government in, and that government wanted to electrify the country. And they were eating their traditional food. 
they didn't sustain, change eating their traditional food, but suddenly they, they laid electrical wires all over the country. They had the highest rate of diabetes in the world, the highest increase rate. Like it went up crazy because the electric sudden it's it's two things. It's it's the rate of change and what they did. So they electrified rapidly. No, no little by little. They just boom. Big grant did the whole country. So suddenly these people were, you know, they were suddenly exposed to this. You know, Edison became diabetic. Alexander Graham Bell became diabetic. Yeah. And if you look at if you understand how we metabolize food, you can understand this because it doesn't, you know, we, you take a sugar molecule and you put it in the top of the system and it runs down and then it gets converted, it gets torn apart and there's electrons get taken out and transported down in a gradient. And then they get transported by these little, I think of them like coal cars, taking the, the coal to the electrical power plant. So these little coal cars are made of, of coenzyme Q10. The electron gets attached to coenzyme Q10, then goes across this chain of events to the little, literally a turbine that runs pro that, work, that that doesn't work on water falling into it. It works on protons falling into it. That turns, it spins in your mitochondria and creates ATP, your your energy. Now you can imagine if this is all done by an electron gradient, you suddenly go into a an electron, a new electromagnetic field, and suddenly it doesn't it, it doesn't have time to to respond and change. And now you can still put the sugar molecule in, but it doesn't go anywhere. So now sugar builds up and you become diabetic. But here's the other point. What's the other thing they wanted us to do? Oh, take statin drugs to get your cholesterol down. Well, that little coenzyme Q10, the little coal car that takes the, that takes the proton, that takes it over to, to run the turbine, that is diminished when you take statin drugs. That is how you damage your metabolism. Yeah, yeah, it does everything bad. In fact, I can remember my ex-husband took he, his doctor. I kept telling him, don't worry about this. You're not, you know, the high number, to, the total number is not the point. You've got good ratios. And so, but his, he, you know, got under the thumb of an internist and they gave him a statin drug. So then we texted him afterwards. and I got him one of these very sophisticated tests. And it showed that all the lipids went down except for the dangerous one. This is LP little a and his triglycerides. I mean. Okay, what did you just do? You, you got the good lipids down and you got left the bad lipids up. They don't do those kind of tests, so they didn't know that. They've, everything they've done has been wrong. And it's, but it's for a reason, because statins, think about it. Statins are part of this issue. If I, you know, I, I want to dumb people down and you don't want to, you don't want these old people lingering around on Medicare. You know, I can kill off their brain with statins and, and make them dysfunctional. And so they're, they're good worker bees up until they're about 60, and then I'll get rid of them quicker, you know. Oh, yeah, it doubles the risk of diabetes. Yeah, Dutch nurses study doubled the risk of diabetes. So, and cancer. Increases cancer. I don't remember the numbers. But, yeah, everything they told us. So if they're trying to hide something, you need it. If they're trying to push something on you, you don't want it. I mean, especially if it's for free, like the monoclonal antibodies. Oh, come in. And they were paying the hospitals big bucks for these, and they were giving them the patients for free. There's something wrong when they're doing that. I think that dokes you with these, this parasite, too. So, but again, we got answers. Thank you so much for coming on with, with me and, and sharing all this information with everybody who listens to this. Where else can we find you? Well, thanks for all you do. I'm at the Medical Rebel. Yeah, themedicalrebel.com. 
And I have, if you look up, you know, Dr. Lee Merritt on Rumble, I'm, you know, it's a little hard to find. I've got to get Rumble sorted out, but I have a whole series. If you find, I've got a whole series of podcasts that I put up that, and this, this one, uh, the, the, the Parasite Paradigm is my last one. It just went up yesterday. So help supporter. We all need support in this time because, you know, unfortunately us as doctors, we spent most of our life in with our head in a book. And so we don't have, you know, like real world application stuff. I mean, you, you could probably do like carpentry because you're an osteo or a orthopedic surgeon but like i can i can think a lot and that's that's the best i can do and even that i'm you know somewhat hindered just because of who i am but <laughs> but yeah if you can support support dr Merritt, that that'll help her continue getting this message out yeah we appreciate that yeah thanks very much and i ho hope hope to get you back on my show so i'd also have a brighton tv show on wednesday nights at six o'clock they can catch me there so all right, thanks again. Yeah, gotta go celebrate now. Celebrate one more year. <laughs> Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.